the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good. You can find us a couple of places on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Also, wherever, wherever it is you get your podcasts. And um, I, am, I am convinced probably everyone is aware at this point of the unthinkable horrific acts yep. from this weekend. And there's so many things I want to say that I, I probably won't today. Uh, but maybe later in this week. And I've been so grateful. been asking a number of friends who think and talk and act and vote differently than I do to help me wrap my brain and my heart around a lot of this. And um, admittedly, I, I just have a lot more <laughs> reading, a lot more soul searching that I think I need to do before I speak too specifically to this. Um, but I had mentioned last week that we did an interview with Jamie Torkowski, the one who uh, founded To Write Love on Our Arms, and he tweeted something about pastors and what they will or won't say uh, in light of all this. And it was it was pretty cutting. Um, but he made some comment about, you know, celebrity pastors and what they will or won't say mm-hmm. for whatever reasons. And somebody responded. It's a pastor out of Oregon. And he said, hey, I'm not a I'm not a celebrity pastor, but I, I did actually oh. weigh in. So I'm, I wanted to play just a little bit uh, of that sermon and then uh, and then just sort of respond a little bit to it for sure. I woke up this morning and uh, was reading a number of news articles about two shootings that happened yesterday. I don't know about you, but uh, I grieve that. I grieve that. And I grieve that something is incredibly wrong in our country. And as I read those articles this morning, I just began to talk to God and said, what do you want me to do about it? What, what, What do I say about this? Because the moment I even bring that up, the accusation gets leveled. Oh, he's just gone political. So, so how do I be faithful to Jesus in the midst of what I'm seeing when God is calling us to rise up, to be the agents of healing on behalf of Jesus? How do we do that if we will not acknowledge what's wrong? And so church, I don't know how else to do it other than to say something is wrong in our nation that people are taking the lives of others made in the image of of God. So I, I don't know even really how, how you navigated this yesterday. Um, but I know that you did. I know that you addressed it. I'd love to know just sort of in light of, of that and in light of your own study and research and prayer, how, how did, how did four corners community church navigate this yesterday? Uh, so, uh, when I got up on Sunday morning, I was still thinking about the shooting in El Paso, right? That's the one that was 20 people and, uh, 20 killed and a bunch injured. And then uh, that was on my mind. And 
and thinking, do we have to, you know, do we say something Sunday morning? Like, you don't always like to be reactive, but, you know, do we do something? And then opening up Twitter while eating breakfast and realizing another one had happened overnight in Dayton. And I was just, I told our church, I said, I met, felt this me- mixture of sadness and anger. Like, I just wanted to throw something. Like, this is craziness. So what we chose to do, what I chose to do is just before I preached, I said, listen, friends, like, I, I don't want to. It's kind of like how you just started the show. I'm not in a spot to try to talk about root causes, and I'm not at a spot necessarily at the moment to talk about what are policy issues and all this stuff. I said, uh, we have a problem culturally. Like We have an issue, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. We have an issue. Uh, and this is an absurd tragedy. It's almost like how you opened, man. And you said, like, uh, I think you called it unthinkable. And and I'm like, I want it to still be unthinkable. But now it almost feels commonplace. And that's really scary and sad. Yeah. And so uh, we just spent time praying. And um, I didn't talk about, you know, what I think might be going on that drives this. Because like you, I'm not sure I have my my arms around it. But. Uh, I did think that we needed to talk about it in, in our church and we needed to pray and be be uh, unified as a community, uh, praying for the victims, praying for our nation, praying for uh, a solution. And I, I ended up just praying that, that there would be a revival of the Holy Spirit in our culture that that this kind of stuff doesn't become so commonplace. And so we did spend some time praying. Uh, but like you, when when you're in the moment, you, you don't even really know what to say. You're yeah. just I saw all those on Twitter. A lot of people like pastors don't be cowards today like you got to say something and i was like i I don't want to be a coward but i don't really know what to say at the moment so uh it's not that we pray when you don't know what to say but that's what we said that's what we spent our time doing we prayed yeah i I, uh i surprised myself a little bit to be honest because i was i was teaching in one of our campuses in the city and um you know we had a moment in the service and i stood up and the first thing that i said was i'm angry I'm mm-hmm. obviously grieved, but I'm also really, really angry. Yep. Um, I identified that there, there is no way around it that that racism is a pretty central piece to yep. a lot of this, yep. and um, to name that, you know, much like what this pastor in Oregon is saying is, I don't think you can heal from a sickness until you name it, mm. and and that gets really tricky, obviously, and it's part of what his whole Twitter response was in the first place that, you know. I think Trukowski's statement about, man, a lot of people won't name it. They won't say it because they're afraid of mm. what the possible backlash might be, or they don't want to rock the boat. Or like you said, like we, I want to say something and I don't want to be a coward, but I also don't, I also want to pastor my people. Well, and I want yep. to shepherd well. And, and I'm still trying to get my mind around it at that moment too. Right. And we still are. So I hope that you're hearing that. If you're just joining us, you know, again, like uh, this is something that I'd love to tackle again, maybe later in the week or next week, once I've, hopefully had more chance just to read and get my head around it. Yeah, because like yeah. one of the things I saw, there's a guy named Chris Murphy and he was responding to some of the accusations about, um, you know, it's just a, it's a mental health situation. He said 19 out of 20 murderers have no mental illness diagnosis. Four out of five mass shooters have no mental illness diagnosis and half showed no signs on a prior undiagnosed illness. Framing this as just a mental illness problem is a gun industry trope period mm-hmm. stop. Yeah. And I thought, okay, so that that's a whole other piece. That's a whole other peg that I think we need to talk about because there is so much happening right now. And again, I, I'm, I wish I could say that I'm surprised by how I'm seeing right. people respond. Um, and there, and again, maybe you saw this, my, so I, I wrote a couple of prayers of lament. I saw that. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's helpful in the traditional sense, but at the very least for me, it's okay. If I don't lament this, I'm, 
likely to fall into some dangerous categories. Yeah. I know that that has to first be my posture, at least in the immediate, but reflection should always lead to action and action should always lead to reflection. I, I, mm-hmm. I've had mentors and pastors and professors and leaders always talk to me about that. So when we talk about, Hey, we need to grieve. We need to pray. I'm like, yes. And then what? Yeah. And it's sort of that then what, that I think a lot of us are sort of feeling stuck in. Right. And I don't know how, like, how do you navigate? Have you, have you fielded any of those questions of people saying, pastor Brian, what, but then what, then yeah. what do we do? I haven't personally, I think, I've been asking them of myself, like mm-hmm. what, yeah. how many more can we do? Right. It, like it felt like, um, that, that once, uh, systematic changes didn't happen after Sandy hook, it felt like, yeah. uh, that, that, that was kind of the watershed one. But, um, you know, like I've told you before, I'm not a gun person. I didn't grow up around guns, but like, clearly we have a gun problem in our country. I don't know what the answer is to that policy wise. I get right. the argument. I actually don't get the arguments on both sides. Like I mm. don't even understand what it all is. Mm. I do know that in Dayton, a guy killed nine people in 30 seconds. Yeah. Like that's, that should be really like, uh, there, that's a problem. That's a problem. And so, um, you know, everything from, like you said, racism and, and, and rhetoric to guns to mental health, like it's just this big stew, but you can't look at the news of this weekend and go, oh, no, we don't have a problem. That's isolated. Not yeah. isolated. This is a growing, growing problem in our country that transcends politics. Like kids are getting killed. Innocent people are getting killed. People are getting killed. We, we've had more mass shootings yeah. this year than days. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. And we just shouldn't have to live in fear. I I went to the movies a month or two ago and I had that thought. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah. What are the answers? I have no idea. Uh, but I think one of the answers is that we have to acknowledge we have a problem and it's getting harder and harder for people who want to pretend there's not a problem to actually be able to hold that position. Yeah, And I hope that you hear our commitment to both grieve yes. and lament and pray, but also for whatever reason, Brian and I have this opportunity to engage in a dialogue that we admittedly have a lot more learning and growing to do, but we want to continue to lean into that, to not shy away from it. Yep. And our hope and prayers that we will be courageous, but with mercy, with grace. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we pray for, um, we pray for families, for victims, and we also ask Absolutely. that you pray for us as we navigate all this together. Well, coming up next, there's a New York pastor who is accused, get this, of stealing over $600,000 from charities to pay for vacations and bar tabs and a whole lot of other things. This is another story that breaks my heart for a whole different <laughs> reason, but that's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. to the common good my name is ian simkins along with brian from and uh, a story that does not match that music at all another <laughs> story that honestly when you i think this one was your suggestion it i was. have such a love-hate relationship with even doing stories like this because on one hand i think all right we got to talk about it we got to go after it and i think it's worth us voicing uh concern on the other hand i hear stories like this and i think i don't even want to give it press like i don't mm. even you know and i so that's a little glimpse into the insanity of my mind. But as I mentioned, there's a, uh, a New York pastor accused of stealing $631,000 from charities to pay for vacations and bar tabs and other things. And this story is going to make you angry. But uh, here we go. Yep. Uh, Bronx pastor Reginald Williams of Charity Baptist Church of Christ uh, and two other people were arraigned on grand larceny charges in Manhattan Supreme Court on Wednesday. Uh, the three pled guilty, uh, pled not guilty, I'm sorry, so that's important to the charges, according to the New York Post. 
Uh, Williams was the CEO of a taxpayer-funded nonprofit called Addicts Rehabilitation Center Fund and was a chairman of the board for another taxpayer-funded entity, Addicts Rehabilitation Center Foundation. According to the district attorney, the organizations contracted with the city and state agencies to provide housing to New Yorkers with substance and alcohol dependency issues, as well as those who live with HIV and AIDS. Uh, and so it's alleged these defendants shamelessly stole from publicly funded organizations dedicated to helping vulnerable uh, New Yorkers to the tune of six hundred and thirty one thousand dollars. And the documents, like you said, talk about how he allegedly important to keep using the word allegedly sure. uh, use the money to fund vacations, uh, bar tabs, taxi fares, lodging. Uh, in, in addition, Williams has was said to have received a one hundred seventy thousand dollars for frequent restaurant and bar tabs in New York City. What? And so. um yeah, and I put this in here. Sometimes, like you said, these can feel gratuitous, like we're just kind of piling on. Uh, but I think it reminds us that there are um, the, the great temptations of money and greed and the great temptations. It says here, I don't even, I'm sorry, I don't even mean to laugh. Williams has led Charity Baptist Church of Christ in the Bronx for two decades. They describe him as a gifted counselor who's highly regarded for his spiritual generosity Uh The church describes itself as a tithing church and declares that Williams is deeply committed to, quote, fiscal integrity and, quote, accountable, accountable stewardship. Oh, gosh. And uh, they were reached out to and no one uh, was there to comment the other day. I don't know. I read these and I go, there goes again. Somebody being taken down by the the temptation of greed and uh, and of money and uh, and he led an organization that was supposed to be helping the least of these and the most vulnerable. And uh, it appears, allegedly, uh, that he wasn't just skimming off the top, but he was taking lots of money uh, for himself. And I just think there's so many examples in here of stuff he's probably preached on of the dangers um, that we all face when it comes to money and stuff. And so I think. Uh, besides being a sad tale, I also think that this is um, it, it should cause us all pause, all of us to pause and uh, and ask some hard questions of ourselves. So his, his attorney, Paul Martin, uh, told the New York Daily News that his client personally raised over 14 million dollars for the foundation and stated that, quote, every dime received from the nonprofits he was entitled to. Well, what, do, what do you think of that? If, if If he's raised, if that's true. That he's raised personally fourteen million dollars for the organization, uh, is he then entitled to six hundred grand to do whatever he wants with? No, I mean no. And <laughs> why uh, not though? Because I doubt that when the money was raised, it, that was known to people. Bingo. And um, and that's just not the point of a nonprofit. Like that's um, and I know that a nonprofits with CEOs and people get paid, but that's not his role. He was on the board of directors and. Uh, I would have to guess that people were not told, hey, if you give X amount, this percent's going to that guy to the, yeah. to, to pay off X, Y, and Z. Yep. Um, it's, yeah, no, that's not true. Okay, can I keep waiting in then? Yep, you can. I, and this is, just to be clear, not a position I hold. I'm just trying to poke the hive a little bit here. So I know churches will often do this, right? We don't necessarily, not every church discloses where every dime is spent. And some people, if they knew that pastors were, going on certain flights or mm-hmm. purchasing certain meals, but then they might make the case like, well, I was, I was actually whining and dining. So this was, yeah, this was a few hundred for this dinner. Yep. But the response from that dinner though, we raised $6 million yep. or we flew to this location and sure the, the flight was expensive, but we filmed 
this story that then was shared with our church of yep. 20,000. So yep. we justify the expenses, even though some people may, if they were to see those things, say, well, that's not a good use of my tithe dollars. Yep. But we do say that, you know, the church isn't a democracy necessarily, that we yep. have leaders and hopefully checks and balances and accountability. What, what do you say to, I imagine, what would likely be some of their responses? Like, hey, those those restaurants and, and bar tabs and vacations, whatever, those are actually means by which yeah. I was able to raise all this money. So by comparison, 600K doesn't seem like that big a deal. Yeah, I would say uh, the key word for me, as you were describing that, is transparency. Yeah. And that is, and I know our church, we're not a big church. We don't have a huge budget. But I even know at a church our size, we try to be as transparent with people as possible. Like, hey, here's the pastors can't get to money. Here's the safeguards we have. You right. can ask any questions you want about money. I'm guessing your church, there's probably a greater complexity to it because it's bigger. So not everybody, you know, you can't go through the budget line item by line item with every person. There's still a lot of transparency, though. But that's my point. Yeah. You guys, it, that's not an excuse to not be transparent. And everything mm. I know about your church is there's transparency. If we, not to pile on, but if we talk about like a lot of the stuff that came out about, say, Harvest over the sure. last six months, a lot of the financial problems there were just egregious because nobody knew about them and there were very little checks and balances. Or if they did, they were silenced. Exactly. Right? And so I think I think as long as you can be transparent about it and justify your reasoning behind things, then you could agree to disagree and people can give their money or not give their money. Uh, but it's when there's this lack of transparency. Yeah. Uh, and and we all know what's over the top, like $617,000. I don't think we do, though. I don't think we, I, I think it's easy. Feel to, it in my gut. Yeah, but <laughs> that's the problem. Everyone's gut is different. Yep. And, and what I want to ask you then is in whether it's a charity or a church, is there such thing as too much transparency? Uh, it, I, that's a great question. I think there could be too much transparency in the sense of, not everybody needs to know every little thing, but I. I so who does know then? Is yeah. it okay? Big donors or big givers? No, they get to no, know no. They, or once you've been a part of the church for five years, you've like you've graduated a, into knowledge of no, the spending. Not at all. That's a great question. I don't have a good answer for you. I'm trying to think on the fly. So maybe you have one. Be like, <laughs> because I definitely I, don't know. Because I know in my church, I suppose people could ask our specific salaries, but there's a line item for pastoral salaries it doesn't say in the budget brian's salary sure. and this person's salary do you think someone would take issue if they actually knew those specifics like wait we're paying brian what i don't think so i hope not <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, and i also am guessing that somebody could find that out if they wanted to that's a great question you ask is there too much transparency because i don't it does feel like there's too much transparency. Every person wanting to know every detail about everything. But you're but, at the top of the organization. But should they be able to is right. a great question. The answer to that, at least as it also depends on how you do membership at your church, probably right. a difference between membership and not. But the, I feel like for my own sanity, I want to say there's a, there's a level of too much transparency. But I think from the other end, there's probably not. Yeah, right. Exactly. And you probably can't be too transparent when it comes to money that is being given by the people of the church. So uh, when you first said that, I said, yes, there probably is too much transparency. Now in a minute, <laughs> in a minute, I've come around. I've come around. Well, part of the reason I asked you is because the church that I was at, so I was a youth pastor and then there was a, and I won't get into the weeds of it, but yep. you know, the lead pastor was removed and it was really messy and there was a big issue with transparency and uh, it really was, I mean, it was to a toxic level. So yeah. when I became lead pastor as sort of maybe an overcorrection, I said, okay, we've been functioning this way for 20 years. Um, everyone sees everything. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of my in response to, hey, we saw where 
secrets and uh, veiled amounts yep, yep. got us. Um, everyone sees everything, and I don't know. I mean, I was twenty seven. I don't. I didn't know sure, what I was doing. But sure. maybe, maybe that was too much. Maybe that wasn't helpful. I don't know. But for me, it was like in the face of especially the, the situation you exactly, guys were coming out exactly. Of. Yeah. And that's why. I mean, I think this is always an important conversation, which actually segues pretty wonderfully. So yep. John Acuff, who is a uh, writer and a comedian and all sorts of things that I he just does a lot of really interesting work. He tweeted something over the weekend uh, about Christians and our perception of money that I want to read to you coming up next, and then kind of get some your feedback on because we posted it on Facebook and people also had comments. They so did. I'm looking forward to exactly how this is going to play out. That's coming up next on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone. Welcome back to the common good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm, with his ice water lifted high to the sky, <laughs> a, a toast of agua. I toasted you. Gosh, we are boring. We're both just drinking Water, which I guess what do you is want us drinking on the air? Touche. <laughs> Good point. Didn't think that one through. It still is not that exciting. Anywho, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com slash the Common Good. Uh, if you like, subscribe, review, all of the stuff that you do there actually does help us out a whole lot. And uh, I mentioned it a little earlier. So there's a guy named John Acuff. Are you a John Acuff fan, by the way? I am. He's funny. So uh, I have not. No, he probably wouldn't appreciate this. I actually haven't read any of his books. But Did you uh, say he wouldn't appreciate this. Yeah, he wouldn't appreciate that. <laughs> like he's primarily an author, right? Right. And so, but I've heard him give a couple um, talks, and uh, he fo- he's a great follow on Instagram. Uh, and other things. He's hilarious. And so, he yeah, is really I do enjoy him. Okay, so he... A-Cuff. He, A-C-U-F-F. That's right. And if you're not following him on Twitter, he's actually a great follow on Twitter. And uh, he, he f- for what Twitter can sometimes be in terms of the dark underbelly, he poses... I think he raises really interesting questions and uh, he always has good you know dialogue with the people that follow him. So he, here's what he tweeted. He said, a, a Christian musician once told me, Christians are weird about money. If I buy a $75,000 uh, Chevy Subaru... Uh, or suburban people, well, geez, a big Chevy Subaru. <laughs> people say great family car. If I buy a seventy five thousand dollar BMW, people will say she just rode a donkey. What a waste of money. <laughs> Same dollar amount, different levels of judgment. So we posted this on the Facebook page a couple of days ago, and we got all sorts of interesting yeah. feedback. And I'm curious, just off the cuff, off the a cuff. Uh, <laughs> oh, well I can't, played. I can't stop. I give it to you. Right Thank there. you, sir. Uh, what? Is your response to this tweet? Uh, A, it shows the good works that comedians do because I, I laughed during it, right? Oh, someone gets a BMW, you say Jesus rode a donkey, and then he just like, you, you've you done a really good to call comedians present day prophets. Hmm. And uh, he kind of does that here, right? Like yeah. he makes you laugh and then boom. Uh, when I first read this, I thought to myself, uh, guilty as charged. Like really? when I see um, somebody in a suburban or a nice minivan or whatever. It was a very suburban car, if you will, uh, for families and this and that. I don't tend to give thoughts about it. Now, some of the, I have learned, like some of the suburbans and stuff, as an aside, you could tell from a distance they were really tricked out. And you're like, man, those are, that's a really nice one. But yeah, right. anyway, I digress. You see someone in a BMW or a sports car come pulling into your church and you do probably have second thoughts. And so, um, I think he's right about this hmm. and, um, yeah, yeah, because I, I have thought to myself, 
that if somebody comes driving in, say, in, to use his example, in a $75,000 BMW, I probably have had thoughts of going, man, you're really wasting your money and not doing with it what Jesus tells you to do. Yeah. When that could not, that, that one does not correlate to the other. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, if I saw somebody in a nice suburban, I probably wouldn't think the same way. Well, we, uh, I want to read a couple of comments because They're the feedback was really good. So David Cook said, uh, my father-in-law, retired pastor, said that years ago, a congregation told him he should sell his Corvair because it was too sporty for a pastor. I think we all need to watch what we spend. Frankly, I would not spend that on a car. However, that is between each person and God. Being judgmental is wrong. The topic does not matter. Um, which a couple of other people said similar things. Uh, Tina Bryant said, you know, ultimately it's not, it's none of my business, but then, uh, like my friend Jack, she said, um, that's a good one. I have to admit I'd be judging differently too. Hmm. I better check myself on why <laughs> my buddy Stan, uh, he said, why does this not bother me either way? But $500 to $1,000 on shoes, uh, that pastors wear drives me crazy. Probably something in me to check as well, which I really appreciate. This is kind of what ACUF does. He's, he's not necessarily trying to troll anybody, but throws these things out there as a way of saying, Hey, uh, how do we respond to these things? Mm-hmm. And like my buddy, Rob, he, he, he just commented convicted, which I am assuming means, uh, yep. Guilty as charged. Yep, I, yep. I would have an issue that same way. And I'm curious why you think that is like, what is, the mechanism behind the thing that leads us to judge someone and maybe not, maybe judge isn't the right word discern. Because I do think if it's a pastor, um, when we keep saying, Hey, it's his money, you know, do whatever he wants. That's a, that can be a dangerous sentiment. And we're like, Hey, what, however he spends it is none of my issue. When we do know both, you know, you and I have said this before, um, money is a spiritual issue. It is. And so for us to say, I don't really care what he does. He just is, is in charge of us spiritually. You're like, well, you, we should care a little bit, yeah, but yeah. within reason. And where's that line and how do you navigate that? It's so hard because I, I am talking myself in my mind as I'm thinking about this. There are slippery slopes on both sides, right? And uh, on one hand, if we're going to judge somebody over $75,000 BMW, say, and use that, uh, who gets to judge which is, is too much money, right? Like, just take cars, right? Oh, Ian, you spent 50 grand on a minivan? Like, that's too much. Oh, you spent. And it becomes like this. uh, Who gets to decide uh, which one is too much? On the other hand, as you just touched on, not even just for pastors, but for everybody, uh, the Bible talks a lot about money. And the Bible talks a lot about the money, how we spend our money being a window into our soul and what's going on and where our worship lies. So I do think, especially as we're in community with people, right? I do think if a buddy of mine uh, buys just what I consider to be a crazy purchase. It's not, it, it it might be good for his soul for me to ask questions and just be like, Hey, yeah, talk me through that process. Not to look at it and go, wow, you're clearly going to hell. You just, bought no, not that, but right. like, Hey man, like you just bought a hundred thousand dollar, whatever. Uh, walk me through that. Would like, you have that conversation? Would you raise that question? I think the key word is in community. I think yeah. if it were a friend of mine, I absolutely would ask that question and I would want them to ask it of me. Yeah. I think it's when random person drives into the church parking lot with a really expensive car and we all go, oh, I know that. Well, that's where we're making judgments that I don't think we're justified to be making. So I do think there's a little bit of a both end here. I do think we don't talk about money enough with the people that we are close to. Yeah. Uh, it, it, 
uh, because the Bible talks a lot about it. Jesus says some really hard things about it. Yeah. But we do judge people. Sure. By these types of exterior things. And I think that's problematic, too. So I think it's a little bit of both. Well, and that gets tricky, too, because just because Jesus spoke about it, Jesus, uh, you know, as a rabbi, was um, certainly in a position to speak to these things as well. And sometimes I think it can get murky when. Like, have you ever had someone kind of call you to account and they're really preachy about it? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I want to be held accountable, but you're really, I feel like you're really demeaning me right now. And this, like, so this guy, uh, Joe Jenkins, he commented as well. And he was talking about a circumstance where somebody was gifted something and nobody mm-hmm. knew. Like, it makes me think of at, at Poplar yeah. Creek, where I was a pastor for seven years. Um, someone from the church owned a printing company and part of their gift to the church for free were these like really nice programs every week. Nice. Really nice. Yep. And I remember somebody came at me swinging one Sunday saying, um, I, I find it irresponsible financially that we're blowing all this money every yep. week on these nice programs. And this person, I mean, Ray for like three wow. minutes had no idea that they were being gifted to us, but the appearance of it though, for them yes. was just appalling. And I wonder, you know, with the whole preacher sneakers conversation and all that, yep. is there added grace for us to at least discern, like maybe they were gifted this. Yep. Is, does that change things for you? I, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I, I guess I'd want to make the differentiation this way. I think that if, uh, I don't think it would be appropriate for me as a pastor to get up and use specifics. Like if you're going to buy, you're, you're not using your money correctly if you buy a $75,000 BMW. Yeah, right. That's a little too on the nose. Exactly. Uh, because I don't know what's going on of what, what is going on for those people. I do on the other end, I do think this is going back to community and having the right to speak into people's lives. Uh, I think if let's pretend, you know, over time, you and I have this relationship where, where we just have a deep uh, understanding and, and talk about things. And I see you make a purchase that I think is like, wow, that's kind of out of the blue. Right. I think as a friend, I would need to bring that up. Probably not over the air, but just be like, Hey, but again, not in an accusatory way, in a preacher way. How dare you buy that? But just, hey, I know you know about, you know, money and the, just talk me through that purchase. Oh, you know what? Somebody gave us a gift. Awesome, man. Congratulations. Yeah. That's great. Hmm. Uh, but or you could be like, nope, we went into a lot of debt because we like how this car looks. Yeah. OK. Like what's going on in your soul? Like, I do think it is a window that we probably need to have a little bit of feeling the freedom again with the caveat with the people we are close to. Yeah. And I think you made a good point about the specificity needs to be, that's a needle to be finally thread because it's one of the things that I find interesting about Paul never references or nor Jesus really the, the 10% tithe. Yeah. He talks about being generous and sacrificial, doing it with joy. It's not a specific number for some people. 10% is a stretch for other people. 10% is not nearly enough. And I think that's part of what this new community built on grace and mercy and love and forgiveness looks like and maybe that's something we apply to this conversation too absolutely well coming up next it is monday and like we uh do most every monday we're going to talk about what did you preach yesterday brian and i are both pastors and preachers and so we're going to take a deep dive into the brains following sunday having given a sermon at our church that's what's coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life hey everyone welcome back to the common good my name Anyone want to guess? Ian Simkin. Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. Wow. <laughs> How old school was that? I, yeah, I'm surprised that that's the name that came out of your mouth, actually. Why? Let's unpack that a second. There's some deep-seated thing in there. Is it because my mustache is that glorious? Because no. it's not. And it no. isn't. I don't even know where that came from. I don't know the last time I thought of Tom Selleck. Yeah, let's unpack that for the next Magnum PI, huh? <laughs> All right. 
Uh, you can find us in a couple of places. <laughs> Just Google it and figure it out. Any okay. counselors, please reach out to us. <laughs> yeah, especially Brian and Tom. Yeah. Uh, so here's here's one of the things that we've been doing pretty frequently is on Monday, following Sunday, as pastors, we talk a little bit about what did you preach yesterday, mm-hmm. which I actually have gone back and listened to a little bit. It's pretty interesting because we're not just giving like a summary of what we preached on, but also sort of like what it felt like and how we felt it was received and stuff we would have done differently, which, uh, again, I don't know if that's interesting to anybody else, but for me, like getting into the brain of a preacher following the Sunday sermon is actually, uh, it's a pretty interesting experience and a pretty good experiment, I think, for us to kind of continue to do until it's no longer helpful or desired. So, Or they don't uh, let us preach anymore. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, right. right. <laughs> that would be a sad segment. Yeah. Uh, what did you so, preach? Actually? Still didn't. Yeah, still, still not didn't. preaching. Still won't let me near a microphone. So yeah. did you preach? And if so, what did you preach on? I did preach. And interestingly, I really enjoyed it, except for the second it's week. Inter- it's our, interesting that well, you no, enjoyed the it. The interesting part's the second part. <laughs> Remember last week I told you I really struggled to like, to, for to feel comfortable with it, and uh-huh. I, I was like, "That hopefully that's a one time deal." I felt that way again this week. Really? It was weird, but I really was happy with how it came out and the response to it. Uh, we are going through a series in First John for the rest of the summer, and uh, yesterday I preached First John uh, chapter two one through eleven, I believe it was, and uh, it was a little bit of a difficult passage because hmm. at first blush you read it and it really feels like John is preaching perfectionism. How do you know that you know Jesus? You you follow him. You don't sin. You walk hmm. in the light. And you're like, well, that feels really burdensome. Yeah, right. And so the passage is a little bit, you know, he's he's talking to to the church that is being influenced by the Gnostics. And um, and he basically says there are two fruits that you will know that you know God. Hmm. And because right, the Gnostics uh, from the Greek for knowing and they were saying all these different things that were confusing the people. And so. Uh, one was obedience. Okay. And, um, and he just flat out says it, right. You will know that you know him by, you know, you follow his commands. And I talked about how, don't forget how in chapter one, he just said, if you don't, if you think you don't sin, then you're a liar. And the truth isn't in you. Like John is not preaching perfectionism here. We're talking more of a trajectory. Like, do you even, uh, does your sin even bother you? Is obedience even a desire of yours? And, do you even desire to bring things from darkness to light? So we talked about that. And then secondly, it talked about love and that agape love that will begin to show. And interestingly for our brothers and sisters, for uh, the other Christ followers. And man, I kind of went all in. Sometimes I feel like this radio show gets me riled up because I kind of went all in (laughs) about, uh, about, I I literally talked about the, um, uh, the campfire that Jesus would have had. And I talked about the fishermen, but next to the tax collectors, next to the zealot, and how how weird that was. And I painted a picture. I said, it's like in this day, if uh, around the campfire was a, you know, a white man and an African-American man and a poor man and a Wall Street executive. And then I went there. I said, a guy in a red Make America Great hat again next to a guy in a Colin Kaepernick jersey. And mm. then, like, people kind of looked at me. Oh, like, boy. What did you just say? People looking for a new church now. The they? point being they, that there's still this love under Christ. It doesn't mean we agree all the time. It doesn't mean we don't disagree and fight it out. You still do that. But. Uh, but this love. And so talking basically, how do I know that I know God? There's this trajectory of two fruits in my life, not perfectly, but they're kind of growing in me. One of obedience, one of love for my brothers and sisters and love for my neighbor. And uh, yeah, I was excited about it. It went well. We had communion after that and uh, it was a good day to be together. How about you? So uh, we started a new series called how to bless your neighbor, Mm. which in light of so many things, it's like, 
what an appropriate time to talk about how yeah. to how to care for our neighbor yep. and who our neighbor is and um so we actually have a an acronym called bless and we've talked about that on the show before yeah. so did you guys write that acronym yeah that, that came was up with a, that. that i was, love that, that acronym dave and john ferguson original so. i don't think i know that they created that yeah, a lot of people don't because it's been, it's, I mean, it's definitely been it's everywhere you know, now. Yeah, which is pretty cool. It really <laughs> like people is. that made graphics and videos. And so, so the next uh, five weeks, we're going to walk through each letter of the acronym. So, yesterday was sort of like uh, an overview. And so, we talked about a kind of intro talking about different slogans and how when you hear, you know, melts in your mouth, not in your hands, everyone knows uh, MMs. But then we yep. talked about how, so our mission statement is helping people find their way back to God. And I said, mm-hmm. our mission statement isn't hoping people find their way back to God uh, that, that to help to be a part of this, to participate in the work of redemption in the world means that we actually have to do something about it. So mm-hmm. we went all the way back to Genesis and we talked about uh, God's promise to Abraham that he will be blessed, mm-hmm. but that he will be blessed to be a blessing mm-hmm. that we're, we're rivers, not buckets. And so often we get that mixed up that we just simply kind of hoard our blessing rather than, you know, we're meant, we're meant to actually bless the people in our yep. lives. And so we told the story out of Luke um, I think it's Luke 19 with, uh, with Zacchaeus and the passage, the the line that I had never noticed before, because everyone knows the song and yep. he climbed the tree. He's and a wee they, little man. Right, right. Yep. And not just a wee little man, like deeply hated. Yeah. We often glaze over that part too, but I'd never noticed this before. The beginning of the whole narrative, it just says um, Jesus was passing through. Mm. Like Zacchaeus was not on his docket that yep. day. And, yep. I, and I said, how often do we miss opportunities to bless people? right on our noses because we're too busy thinking about the thing we're going to or the season that is over that next hill. Like God has you here and now for a purpose, for a reason. And, and, and I love too, because uh, Jesus pretty bluntly is like, Hey, I'm coming to your house. Yep. They share a meal together, which in this culture was a way of sort of like speaking dignity, maybe to a guy that mm. knew he was despised. And then Zacchaeus has this like awakening moment. And Jesus says today, salvation has come to this house. Not tomorrow, not when you get your life in order, not when I get the receipt that you've actually given away all this money or that you've joined a small group today. Salvation has come to your house. And Paul in Galatians and in Corinthians, he draws this line from Abraham to us as well, to Christ followers, yeah. this idea that we're blessed to be a blessing. Mm. And uh, so I'm I'm excited. It was a really, it was a really like Christianity one-on-one kind of a talk, but also I think really challenging to those of us who sometimes miss the yeah. opportunities right under our nose. And so the next... The next five weeks, we're going to talk through the B-L-E-S-S of the blessed practices. I won't tell you what they are right now. I was now. just going to ask you, tell us what they are. Nah, but no, nah, nah, I'm, going to, I'm going to tease it out. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. But I, uh, yeah, it was one of those messages that I was really challenged by. I talked about, you know, really seeing this lived out first by my parents. My, mm. my parents to this day are some of the most generous, kind, faithful people I know. Yeah. And just watching early on. How they bless other people really has kind of challenged and convicted me in my adult years. So that's awesome. Warning: yeah. I'm not preaching this Sunday, so be ready. Oh, you're not. So don't. So don't ask me what you're saying. All right. Well, coming up on the second hour, uh, Stephen Carter actually posted a really beautiful blog, but uh, about the uh, some of the Willow stuff that's going on and some of his heartaches. We're going to tackle that. We have a great interview coming up, and uh, I hope that you'll join us on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. 
everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, forward slash. Is that a forward slash? Which slash uh, is that? I so, think that's a backslash. It is, but it's leaning forward, though. I, I, now I'm realizing I don't know. <sighs> I do not know. Should we have even bothered to let everyone know that we don't know the difference? Yeah, somebody please let us know the difference. <laughs> it's one of the slashes. I just saw John put on his headphones. Does that mean he's going to weigh in? John, which slash is it? That is a forward slash. Okay, so I was I was right. What makes that a forward slash? <laughs> is it that it's leaning forward? I, yeah, I mean, that, I don't that know. one Sorry. is a forward slash. But, yeah. <laughs> I can hear people changing their yeah, channels right. now. Hard-hitting news here on the common good. Hopefully people listen to a 2X on the podcast right there. <laughs> Yeah, so they could just blaze right past that. You can find us all over the place, though. Speaking of the podcast, if you like, subscribe, and review, that really does help us out, and we appreciate that very much. And uh, a guy that I appreciate a good deal is named Steve Carter. And uh, if you recognize that name, uh, he had recently been integral in the Willow staff uh, arrangement. In fact, he was one of two that were sort of heirs to the throne right. of the Bill Hybels position. They kind of divided that into like teaching and executive pastor. Um, but uh, if you've been following that at all, for it's been really heartbreaking. And we've talked about it a lot mm-hmm. earlier in the year, and we haven't so much as of late um, intentionally. But uh, last was it last week, two weeks ago now, the elders had a meeting. Yeah, it was early last week, I think. And, yeah. and you can you can see it and you can read the transcript for yourself. But, uh, but Carter posted this blog that is, I just think, so pastoral. Um, and clearly, like this is someone who cares about the church and his church and his family and his church family. And just to make clear, he's not at Willow anymore and hasn't been there for a while. That's right. That's right. He yeah, he resigned uh, his own fruition. So um, volition, fruition. Oh, boy. I, am, I believe volition. Is I'm right? having a word problem today. Anyway, it's he forward slash volition. <laughs> <laughs> I played bass and forward slash bullet. So he wrote this blog. And rather than sort of summarize it for you, uh, we got the time. I wanted just to read it. To you, Brian, but to everyone listening, and then uh, get some of your responses afterward. So it's called The Narrow Path. It says, one day, a man was walking the 17-mile-long trail from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was brutally assaulted by rogue thieves. The man was beaten, stripped of his clothes, left half dead as his attackers ran away. Sometime later, a priest was returning home from service in the temple and came upon the man. Yet when he saw him lying there, he passed by the other side. After this, another temple worker, a Levite, encounters the victim, but also does not stop to offer aid. Reading this begs the question, why would these temple leaders ignore a man in desperate need? See, in the Torah, there are 613 commandments, which were consistently ranked by the leading rabbis of the day. One prominent rabbi, 50 years before Jesus, named Shammai, said that the two greatest commandments were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and to be holy as God is holy. Holiness is a loaded word, isn't it? It may be helpful to consider that at the time Jesus told the parable, holiness represented a purity code, which means that when someone was bleeding, they were considered unclean. Mm. So if a priest or Levite touched a bleeding person, they would have to return back to the temple for a cleansing process that would keep them from serving at the temple for some time. So let's take this even farther. You, like me, may have been taught or assumed that the road to Jericho was a wide road. Turns out it's actually incredibly narrow. Imagine that for a moment. That implies that the two religious men who chose to remain pure for the temple rather than help a fellow man who yeah, had to literally step over him or at best maybe sidestep past him. 
that changes things for me because it means they bore witness to his pain, mm. they saw his wounds, and still chose not to engage in a specific and meaningful way because of how they chose to rank the laws. Mm. We all have the propensity to rank the laws differently than Jesus did. Sometimes we can even use language from the Bible to justify our actions, but it's not actually loving our neighbor. Sadly, our ranking of the laws often leads, leads to us stepping over the abused mm. or sidestepping past the racism directed toward the marginalized or choosing to stay silent when the truth needs to be proclaimed from the mountaintops. The Latin word for a priest is pontifex, which fascinates me because pawn could be translated as a bridge and fex as a maker. Priests are supposed to be bridge makers to the abused, to the oppressed, to the hurting, to those suffering, broken, or wounded. Jesus says, we are all a priesthood of believers, which means that we are all called to minister to rather than step over those who are victimized. For the past six weeks, I've been off the grid traveling to various high school and family camps across the country. The Wi-Fi hasn't always been great. And so this past week, I've been catching up on what's been happening in our world. My heart aches for what I missed, for how easy it is to step over, sidestep, or simply stay silent on issues. Then 10 days ago, my phone started buzzing as people told me about the last statement issued by the new elders of Willow. I found the link and opened it with hope and expectation that truth would finally be spoken. But as I read it in the LAX airport between flights, my heart sank. Regardless of intention, the elders chose to step over and sidestep the women who had already been so victimized by the leadership of Willow. The truth wasn't named, but reconciliation was advised again and again. Reconciliation is a beautiful word and so close to the heart of God, but scholars will tell you that reconciliation isn't possible if the truth is not named. To keep Jesus the main thing, you must embody the main thing, which is the fullness of grace and truth. Both are essential. It's taken me a while to make sense of this. My heart breaks for the women, for the congregation, for my own family, who has faced much fallout in pursuit of the truth, and for the many who still are in the dark over what really happened. I know the truth has a way of always finding the light. And like Jesus so beautifully does, he graciously points us back to the bigger story and gives us an example we would never expect. He reminds us of where good can come from. These good Samaritans or advocates of the marginalized showcase what bridge making is all about by the way they break themselves open and pour themselves out. They are all around choosing the courageous path. These brave bridge makers truly resemble God's heart. I don't know about you, but I want to follow that better way and live fully into the truth. I pray the greater church can find the courage and grace to do so as well. God, please raise up your holy bridge makers who choose not to look away, but rather to fully see the powerless, the hurting and the abused among us. And just like your son demonstrated again and again, may we stand with them by speaking out and advocating on their behalf. May we own our sins and not be afraid to sit in the pain of admission of guilt, the sorrow of remorse, the humility of asking forgiveness. May we rediscover the power of your grace when we truly submit to it. By the light of the truth, may our church be set free. It's mm. powerful, man. That's really powerful. And uh, that concept of bridge making, of being bridge builders, being unifiers is so powerful and beyond, beyond powerful. It is so needed. It is really so needed. Uh, so well written. Um, you look emotional over this. Curious um, why you wanted to read this in the first place and what it's doing to your soul. That seems to be touching deeply to you. I think like a lot of prophetic writing, mm -hmm. um, it is 
hard for me to really believe that this was written like two weeks ago, given the weekend that we just uh, had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have very easily been written this morning in relation to the like weekend. I read it yeah. again this morning in preparation for the show and really thought, good. gosh, there's something so timely and timeless about what he's saying. Yeah. And the idea that, you know, even in that story of the Good Samaritan, there was already a story floating around like that one. And the third character in the story would have been your average everyday Jew. Yep. Right. So the the lesson of the day would be, hey, uh, we all have this opportunity to to be light and love to people. Yeah. And Jesus makes the hero of the story a Samaritan. Right. right. The person we least expect and the person, the expert in the law. When asked, so who was the neighbor, can't even speak, can't even say the word Samaritan. Yeah. Just as the one who showed mercy on them, yeah. I imagine, almost through gritted teeth. And I think, man, if we're if we're to find healing and hope in this world, I, I imagine it will at times come from very unexpected places. Mm. And, and my prayer is that not only that we would be that, but we would have our eyes open to the people who are really being Jesus to one another yeah. in often really unexpected ways, because isn't that how God often works yeah. in the ways that if we were given an opportunity to draw the blueprint ourselves, it would have looked totally different. And yet God, much as like we were talking about with, with Zacchaeus, no plans, he was passing through, but there's yeah. an opportunity right in front of us to be light and mercy and grace, to stand up for the mm. marginalized, to be the voice of the voiceless. And I think um, amidst all the chaos and all the noise, that's what I want to trade my life for, man. That's yeah. what I want to be about. You give a really good word there. And a word I think we can all hang on is in this, you know, we talked about in the first segment, just the, the sorrow and the tragedy and the anger of this weekend uh, and all the things going on in our culture. It's an, op- it's an opportunity yeah. for the church. It's really, you use a good word there. It's an opportunity to be light in darkness. And I really hope we as individual churches, but as the big C church seizes on that opportunity rather than add to the problem. Yeah. And I, I think uh, our next guest coming up, Catherine McNeil, who just wrote the book, all shall be well, is going to have so much mm-hmm. wisdom and insight for us in this uh, really, really troubling time. The book is all shall be well awakening to God's presence in his messy, abundant world by Catherine McNeil. That's what's coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all sorts of places. Here are a few uh, on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. You can also find a podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. You can listen to us twice the speed, half the speed. Or not at all, if you like, subscribe, <laughs> review. <laughs> or not at all, if you like. I just want like. to make sure they, they know that that's an option. Like, you could just ignore everything I'm saying. But <laughs> if you do like and subscribe and review, that actually does really help us out a lot, and we appreciate that. And uh, we love having in-studio guests, and I'm really excited for our next guest, Catherine McNeil, who just wrote the book, All Shall Be Well. I want to read you this subtitle, because I love it. Uh, it's Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World. Mm. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for making the drive, for spending some time with us. And uh, as with the case with books, if people aren't familiar with you or your work or the book, um, why don't you tell us first just a little bit about you and then why you wrote this book and what it's all about? Absolutely. Um, Well, I am a writer. Mm -hmm. You probably figured that out. (laughs) Um, That's a good start. I am a mother. I have three children and a gardener. I have an enormous garden. Awesome. Um, I'm always looking for, well... I'm also a little bit of a theologian. I've always loved studying about God, um, but I like to keep it grounded. You mm, know, yeah. I, as much as I love to read those deep theology texts and yeah, tomes, yeah. Um, I spend most of my life doing things like driving to work, right? Dr- doing the dishes, yep. like so, most of us, right? Exactly. So I'm always asking the question: What does this have to do with God? 
That's great. Because if God's the creator of everything, then he is legitimately doing something Hmm. in every moment. Yeah. Um, So I think that is where I come across most of my writing is trying to say, what does this have to do with God and what does God have to do with this? I love that. Is this book a reflection of that as well? 100%. I love that. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of seen in the title, all shall be well. Talk about the inspiration behind that and this whole concept that it's all going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, There was a woman named uh, Julian of Norwich who Mm. um, has a quote, which I quote in this book, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Mm. And on the surface, that sounds very cotton candy, very fluffy, very optimistic. But she said this during a series of visions she believed God revealed to her while she was in a deep illness, a mm-hmm. deep time of illness, she believed she was on her deathbed. Mm. So it was actually a time of deep suffering and struggle and darkness and pain for wow. her. And she declared this truth that she was certain she had heard from the Lord that all shall be well. Mm. And so even though the title sounds very optimistic, it's a hope that is not grounded in kind of ignoring the realities, but in yes. deeply set in the truth that there is sunshine, but there is darkness Yeah, and there is summer, but there is winter. Yes. And somehow God is sovereign over all. And ultimately he will bring redemption wow. and all shall be well. That's beautiful. One, one of our hopes for the show, because the, the title has kind of a double meaning. The common good is pretty, uh, it's a pretty well-known phrase, but we really honed in on the word common mm. because we know that there's this common space that, most of our, that's where we all live, right? Is like you were saying, the commute and washing the dishes and caring for our kids and our neighbors. Okay. And it's also what's common that unites us. And like mm-hmm. you were just saying, we've all experienced both light and darkness, hills and valleys. Like, can you speak a little more to how you came to really understand God's presence in the midst of all of those extremes yeah. and also in just sort of these ordinary spaces? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mentioned that I'm a gardener mm-hmm. and I also grew up in the country. I loved, um, hiking through forests, sitting at the lake. I write about all of these very kind of tangible, earthy things in my book. And I'm convinced that in the minutia of creation and of our daily life on the earth, um, there's a cycle that keeps happening and it Mm -hmm. reflects our own life cycle. Um, There's springtime with its vulnerable new life. There's Mm -hmm. summer with all its busyness and chaos and noise, (laughs) but full of delights and full of responsibilities. And then there's this time of decline where we have to let go, uh, culminating ultimately in death. Mm. But that's not the end. Mm. Then it turns around again and then there's new life. Yeah. And we have the option, I guess, of tuning out most of these cycles in our days and years um, but for most of human history, there was that was not an option. People right. were living outside, sleeping outside, yeah. seeing the dawn, seeing the stars, um, surviving based on these cycles and seasons that God created and placed yes. us in. Yes. Um, and I think that there's something that God teaches us about life and death, yeah. about um, dormancy and abundance that we have maybe stopped learning how to listen to. Mm. We've stopped being able to receive it from him. And and then I think it's harder when we encounter these things in our own yeah. life cycles. So I saw that you wrote another book about motherhood as a spiritual discipline. And uh, this book in particular, All Shall Be Well, what's the target audience? Who do you think? Is it mothers again? Or is this a message for 
for everybody that you think we all need to hear? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Uh, It's true. My first book, my target audience was primarily mothers, although uh, I know many fathers and even caregivers who appreciated the book. This book is definitely to a a broader audience. Anyone living on the earth, I think, would be a great fit for this book. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to kind of put you on the spot, if that's okay. (laughs) Please do. One of my favorite authors of all time is a guy named Wendell Berry. Yes. Wendell Berry has, so you mentioned both being a gardener and a theologian, Mm -hmm. and, you know, Wendell Berry sort of refers to himself as an agricultural theologian. I think still writes his books on a typewriter. Mm -hmm. He's this beautiful, he's also (laughs) a poet and an artist, and Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, what role does your love for gardening and creation play yeah. in the writing process? Because I think for a lot of people, they would never make the connection themselves. Mm-hmm. Is there a connection? Am I forcing a connection by asking this question? Or or do they sort of speak into each other's existence a little bit? My love of nature and my love of writing? Yes. I know. I think they do. I think, um, you know, all of writing, all of art really is an attempt to take something that we have seen mm. that is true in the world and portrayed in a way that startles people yeah. to see their own life, yeah. which they see every day, but see it a little more deeply or from a different angle. And I think that's what nature creation gardening does mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And so I do try to portray that whether or not I'm writing about my garden, um, which comes up in all shall be well, but is not the primary feature of the book yeah. uh, for those of you who don't like to garden. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's that, that angle that I'm always looking for. Yeah. Where is God in this world that he created? Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I love the concept of gardening. And then I realized this weekend I spent like three hours just weeding. No, mm. not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> not the same. Not right. the same. Uh, so small world. You and I went to Wheaton together. We did. And uh, just curious now that we've been out of school like 20 years, which, you know, I'm sure you, that makes you, that blows your mind. Like it, it blows my it mind. It does. Since I'm still so very young. I know. Look at us. Right. And so <laughs> I'm curious just uh, when you, when did you know you want to be an author? Talk to us about that. I'm always curious about the process of writing a book. When did you know you wanted to write a book? How did that all come about? You know, it was kind of a surprise to me. Yeah. <laughs> if you were to ask people who have known me my whole life, they would say I've always wanted to be an author. It's true that I was writing little books and having them published at Kinko's or whatever was available <laughs> back in the 80s um, as a child. Um, but I've always loved writing. And I think when the internet came along and I was able to write a blog and mm. start pitching articles to different um, websites and magazines, it, it flourished naturally. This yeah. thing that I had always been doing on my own, I realized maybe it's something I could do for others as well. That's great. So before I forget, because you're going to stick around for another segment, I but I, I do want to make sure we mention it a couple of times, where can people actually get this book? This book is available wherever books are sold. Awesome. Uh, August 6th is the release date, which is tomorrow. So that's right. Yes. Uh, and uh, you can get it on Amazon, but you can order it from Barnes and Noble or christianbooks.com, your local Christian bookstore. Yeah. So oh, your book comes anywhere. out tomorrow. That's like a big, that's a huge day. It's, is that like a party? It's kind of a big deal. A party? Yeah, that's why I'm here. Yeah. For the party. <laughs> oh, not because we're friends. Just well, <laughs> I, I figured there'd be cake. Uh, hey, John, can we get cake in the studio before the next segment is over? That, that would be awesome. Okay, so if you're just joining us, I can't encourage you enough to stick around because we have Catherine McNeil in the studio. She just wrote a brand new book, which uh, comes out, I was going to say releases, drops. 
What is the proper book lingo? You can say either of those. Drops is yeah, appropriate. Let's say drops. drops. It sounds cool. It does I'm sound say, cool. Oh, the book drops tomorrow, y'all. <laughs> the book is called All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World. And she's going to stick around very graciously for one more segment to talk about this book and the art of writing. We may talk a little general special revelation, if that's mm-hmm. for you theology nerds. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, or 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. And uh, I am thrilled to have for a second segment, Catherine McNeil, author of All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World. And we've been talking about all sorts of things, writing and gardening and God's presence in both the light and darkness in good times and bad and you explore a little bit in the book the concept of revelation, specifically mm-hmm. general and special revelation. Yeah. And this is a conversation that I don't I don't hear a lot of people having. Could you sort of unpack for us a little bit about where you went with that particular conversation? Absolutely. Um, one thing that I kind of describe in All Shall Be Well is the idea of the difference and the interplay between general and special revelation. And one example that I give is uh, the birth of Jesus, which we could never somehow figure that out from Mm -hmm. gardening or walking through the forest. Uh, That is something that we need to be told. Mm. Uh, We needed to experience it by Jesus coming, being born. Uh, But the Bible writes about light coming into darkness. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no way for me to get that news except for to read that news in the Bible or have someone teach it to me. Right. Um, but on the other hand, every December 21st, uh, the solstice occurs mm-hmm. and the darkest, longest night comes. And then suddenly we have turned the corner and the days start getting a bit longer. The sun starts getting a little brighter. Right. And there's a reason why the early Christians started celebrating the birth of Jesus mm. on that same week. It was mm. because this cycle that the earth has taken every year since the dawn of time was a perfect uh, stand-in metaphor for Mm. what God was doing in history. Um, That into the darkness, the light has come. And so I learned from my Bible, from my pastors, this incredible truth of God that Mm. I can only learn about from reading that Bible, learning the story of Jesus. But somehow it connects more with my heart Mm. in that week in December when Mm. I'm so torn down by the darkness yeah um seasonal defect ex- seasonal affective disorder yeah, yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. and then suddenly there's a hope mm. that light is coming it's not here yet yes but it's coming that's, that's so good. good what do you think the effect is on us as christians when we are not in tune with general revelation with with god's presence in our day-to-day activities what ends up happening to our faith uh you know i think it becomes very head knowledge yeah what, again, as we said earlier in this segment, we are living our lives on the ground with people, with um, all of creation all together in a, a, a fishbowl of the earth. Hmm. And I think we need to think through how, how do we treat our neighbor? How do we treat yeah. our family? How do we treat the earth? Hmm. Um, because it's all God's. It's all God's creation. He has a plan. This is where redemption is happening. It's here that God is. Yeah. It's here that we yes. meet God. and think we become blinded and deaf to his presence. So one of the things I actually read from Richard Rohr a couple of weeks ago, he said, um, God's presence is not what's lacking. What's often lacking is our awareness. Yeah. And 
I know that for our listeners, one of the things that we try to do on the show is to is to get really practical when we can. So we have people who have been Christ followers their whole life. We also have people, though, who maybe wouldn't identify as Christ followers, right. but they're like they're listening as a way of dipping their toe in the waters. Would you give some practical ideas for how whether whether I've been walking with Jesus my whole life or I'm not even really sure how I feel about this? How do I better attune my life from my spiritual ear, my spiritual eyes to God, to seeing God in the world. Do you have any like practical suggestions for ways Absolutely. to do that? Absolutely. Well, I have a book I'd love to recommend. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a book for you. <laughs> um, but in seriousness, I do throughout the book, as you can tell, I, I have I have deep theological thoughts, but I mm-hmm. try to write very uh, easily, accessibly, and yeah. using examples from every day and every year. And um, I do have a few suggestions at the end of every chapter of how we can cultivate oh, this awareness. Um, in the chapter where I talk about hope, I describe the thawing that we experience mm. in spring and how it comes when we're most desperate for mm. warmth. Um, and then I give um, ideas on how we, whether it happens to be spring or summer or fall or winter in reality, um, how we can step outside and take a breath yeah. and look for that new life that is always starting even when mm. uh, we struggle. So I do I do try to stay practical. Um I think taking the time to have a deep breath and really look around at what's happening in the world, yeah. in our lives, yeah. in our hearts, in our minds, I think that can be where it all begins. That's great. And how do you do that uh, in your own life? Uh, we've heard of gardening. That's awesome. Uh, but you got three kids. I do. You got three kids. Mm-hmm. So uh, I also have three kids and I know that's, that is full of joy and a busy life. It, is. <laughs> it makes craziness. Uh, so how do you recharge? What are, what are some things that you do? Uh, because I'm sure this book is coming out of experience for you, yes. obviously. So what are some things uh, that you do in your own life? Well, that is actually what I tackled in my first book, oh, <laughs> Long, yeah. Long nice. Days of Small Things, um, how to create a spiritual discipline in a life that is full of parenting and yeah. chaos. Um, again, I am a very reflective, contemplative, deep thinking person. I would love nothing better to sit in a quiet room with some candles <laughs> most some of the time. And, yeah. yeah, that would be great. Um, but my reality is full of uh, children and responsibilities and mm. jobs and laundry. Yes. Um, and so I do try to find those moments where I can recharge my introverted, reflective self. Um, but I also am again, convinced that God is right here in the chaos and in the cacophony. And so I do also push myself to remember that as I am pouring myself out to serve my family, pouring myself out to get my jobs done, um, that is an act of service to God and that he is meeting me right there as well. That's really good. All right. So it's one thing to meet God in the cacophony and the noise and the busyness, right? Mm -hmm. Which is something that I actually have a, a, a real heart for. Um, but I'm, I'm curious now in light of just the horrific weekend that we've Mm, had, I think of a book with the title, all shall be well. Yeah. What, what encouragement or hope would you give to the person listening right now that's saying not only is not all well, I don't have any faith that it ever will be Mm, when we look not just at the craziness, but the downright heartache and horrific violence and senseless, you know, that kind of stuff. When we look at our nation, can you can you just speak some some pastoral wisdom there? Absolutely. Could I could I read? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is from a chapter called um, Endurance, and it's about the darkest days, uh, the deepest winter, when we are about to lose hope. Hmm. Um, this is reality, 
Existence is beauty and pain in equal and astonishing measure. We must acknowledge that joy and suffering coexist as one and not two. That God has not promised a life free from pain, but a life lived within pain. Mm. That healing happens only in this place. That God remains with us through the darkest night, present in our most desperate questions. There is no trick or gimmick, no way to escape. There is only God. And as we endure, as we choose life again and again, we grow stronger. We learn to see him even in the dark. Oh, that's really good. That's so good. Why uh, Why do you think that, um, or maybe you don't think this, but it feels like a lot of Christians have trouble even acknowledging that life can be dark. Right. That they do have doubt or apathy or anger. Um, and that seems like the first step, right? Acknowledgement Absolutely. is the first step. So. Uh, I don't know. Is, do you have any ideas as to why we struggle with that? And maybe some encouragement to people who still kind of live this kind of fake, like, oh, Christians mm-hmm. should just be happy. We, can, mm-hmm. we, we can't even acknowledge struggle. I, I do. I write about that as well. You know, I think about the concept of choosing a life first, which I think people our age did that a lot. <laughs> in, <laughs> That's awesome. We were encouraged to do that in high school and college, but we always chose those really exciting verses. Yes. You know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Yes. And that's true. But God spoke that to a people that had been pulled away into exile. I can't even imagine the pain of having my children ripped from me and taken as slaves to another country. And his promise was that after 70 years of that suffering, he would bring them back. Not that it would be undone, but that they would come back after 70 years. So I think we do lose the full context of these promises yeah. we just hold on to the surface. Yeah. Um, and I do, again, that's one of the things that we lose. I think when mm. we aren't paying attention to what's happening in God's creation, there is darkness. Yeah. God is here. Yeah. That is so timely. I think everything that you're saying and the book Absolutely. comes out tomorrow. I cannot encourage you enough to get it. The book is all shall be well. You've listened to Catherine McNeil and in the remaining 30 seconds or so that we have, uh, you know, that our program director, Marcus Brown, <laughs> the two of you have been friends for like a quarter century. We all went have, to Wheaton together. Yes, right. Do you have any, any dirt, any story that you want to Wait, safely I can't hear anything. My mic went dead. <laughs> Everything went dead. Everything went dark. I have so much dirt. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even have time. Uh, next segment. <laughs> as, we, as we watch the clock wind down to zero, that's probably a smarter move. Yes, Maybe we'll yes. have a, an off-air conversation later. That would be wonderful. <laughs> and wise. Well, Catherine McNeil, author of All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World. I cannot encourage you enough to go yes. out and buy this book, buy it for a friend, read it with your community. Thank you so much for taking Thank the time you. today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Great to be here. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. All right, friends and family, that music can mean only one thing. It should only mean one thing. It might mean only one thing. Other things. Only one thing. That is the end of the show, which means it's time for Interweb Insanity. These are stories that we have not seen, not selected. It's sound effects that we don't know anything about. Which you'd think would be less terrifying the more we do the show. It's more terrifying. Yeah, because I, our name is still on the show. Right, exactly. <laughs> There's someone who's just like spinning the dial and they're like, what are these guys talking yes. about? That is that is a little frightening and also a little exciting. So why don't you kick us off, Brian? Brown? Let's do it. Okay, he does this on purpose now. Because every time he starts, uh, he always starts from the same place. And you know where that place is? Canada! Florida! <laughs> Man breaks into home, grabs Gatorade, takes shower. A stranger walked into a house near Dealand, help himself, helping himself to a Gatorade, stripped naked, and took a shower. 
Brian Mundy, age 31, was arrested Tuesday in charge of burglary and indecent exposure. Where's Brian from? Is what it says. There's going to be alcohol in this at some point, I know. The homeowner was in his room when one of his children discovered Mundy. Oh, that's no good. In the bathroom and yelled for help. They believe he got in through an unlocked back door. The homeowner said Monday grabbed the Gatorade before heading into the bathroom. Brando's got what plants crave. It's got electrolytes. <laughs> oh, gosh. That was actually more creepy than anything. Oh, that's kind of prophetic. This one's out of Canada. Uh, a hiker in Canada was approached by a cougar. She blasted Metallica to scare it off. Done. <laughs> it's no secret that Metallica's music can be kind of intense, so much so one hiker says that it scared off a curious cougar on Vancouver Island. D. Gallant, 45, was on a hike in South Duncan with her dog, Murphy, on July 23rd. She said she was only a few miles into the woods when she turned around and realized they had company. They were being stalked by a cougar. At first, she was intrigued. She'd never seen one that close before. But then she realized that the animal was approaching her. She yelled, and the cougar stopped moving, but it didn't retreat. Gallant tried waving her arms and yelling at the cat, saying things like, bad kitty, and get out of here. <laughs> but the cougar stood its ground. That is, until Gallant opened up her phone and chose the loudest band she could think of, Metallica. The song, Don't Tread on Me. It was both a warning and an appeal. And that, apparently, is what she did. The cougar scurried off, and after the first few notes, the combination of heavy drums and James Hetfield's vocals apparently were too much to handle. I used to rock and roll all night and party every day. <laughs> then it was every other day. Now I'm lucky if I can find half an hour a week in which to get funky. <laughs> <laughs> the, next, one. the next one's out of North Carolina. Spirit passengers spooked by bat on flight to New Jersey. Travelers on a Spirit Airlines flight from North Carolina to New Jersey were spooked by an unwelcome passenger this week, a bat flying through the cabin. And no, it doesn't appear to be an emotional support animal. Peter Scatini, a 23-year-old passenger on the budget airline 6 a.m. flight from Charlotte to Newark on Wednesday, posted a 13-second video of the incident on Twitter, along with the caption, Me, twice a year. I'll never fly Spirit again. Me, this morning, after deciding I'd rather save $12. (laughs) The video, which is going viral, uh, features a couple of passengers squealing, Oh my goodness, and another asking if the creature is a bat. What are you? I'm Batman. (laughs) Spirit did not respond to questions for comment, by the way. No? Uh, Michigan, my home state, and America's high five. America's high five. Man clearing weeds with blowtorch starts mobile homes on fire. Can I just say, uh, I have actually cleared weeds with a blowtorch before. That's that's <laughs> super random. When in Michigan. Yeah, no kidding. A man who wanted to remove weeds Tuesday made more of a mess than he cleared, firefighters say, at about 5.15 p.m. on July 31st, my wedding anniversary. Ah. Firefighters received a call of a shed fire. A man who was using a blowtorch to clear weeds near the shed had set it on fire, and the fire spread to other trailer homes in the park. My goodness. It took firefighters about 20 minutes to get the fire out, but a propane tank Uh leak that lasted about three hours caused the department to evacuate everyone in the trailer park. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. (laughs) Of course it's going to be her. Of course. Do you know the whole quote? I I don't know the quote, but I've seen the clip. And the smoke. The smoke got me. (laughs) That's awesome. That's that's the same one that's ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) She's my spirit animal. Last one is from Australia. A man exposed his family to nuclear radiation after he urinated in the backyard. Oh, boy. A report published by the Australian Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety Agency listed 575 incidents of inadvertent radiation exposure 
in 2017, including one in which a man in Australia exposed his family to nuclear radiation after urinating in the backyard of his home. The report said the man had taken iodine-131, a highly radioactive form of iodine often used to treat hyperthyroidism and thyroid cancer. Uh, Doctors told the man to urinate only in toilets. It said a factor in the incident was communication issues with the patient. As a result, the man's family was exposed to nuclear radiation. The man returned to the hospital in isolation after radiation was found in the backyard. A lifetime of working in a nuclear power plant has given me a healthy green glow. (laughs) (laughs) Simpson just never, never fails. Always does. Always is good. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how to listen without getting defensive. We're going to go to Tom Hanks for some marriage advice. We're going to talk parenting and all sorts of interesting things. But today... Today's been a day, man. Thank you for uh, taking this journey with me. Thank you all for taking this journey with us. Hope you join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.